This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So one of the fascinating phenomena of our digital age is the way in which almost anyone can become famous for almost any reason, for better or worse, right? All it takes is to capture that one moment at just the right time, to send it up to social media, and then it takes on a life of its own as a viral sensation. And you know, this has been going, it's accelerated in recent years, but it's been going on for a long time. As far back as 2002, there was a Canadian teenager who set up some film equipment from his school and videoed himself with a golf ball retriever, swinging it around like a lightsaber and making noises, and he got really into it. And he made the mistake of when he left filming, leaving the footage behind. And one of his classmates found it and watched it and thought it was hilarious. And so he uploaded it, sent it on to all his friends, who sent it on to all of their friends. And this was before social media really took off, so this was all like websites and email. The next thing this kid knew, he was known across the globe as Star Wars Kid. And people were making fun of him for it, and he was devastated. The story, it's actually really sad. It ends in a lawsuit, and it's, it's kind of tragic. But he, all of the other aspects of his identity, none of which any of us know, were stripped away and boiled down to this one thing about him. He's Star Wars kid. If you've been around the internet for a while, you might recognize some of these names. Rebecca Black, Old Spice Guy, maybe more recently Karen. If your first name is Karen, I'm sorry about that last one. It's not your fault. But these are all people who, or, or people, characters who have come to be known for just one thing about them. And what's amazing is that even famous people are not exempt from this phenomenon. If I say the name Rick Astley, if you know who he is, you giggled because you associate him with a prank called a Rickroll. A Rickroll is when you get an email from someone that it's got a link, it seems very innocuous, it says, hey, check out this great sermon that Deacon Will preached last week. And you're like, great, I'll click on it. And instead of seeing Deacon Will's sermon, you see the 1987 music video by Rick Astley, Never Gonna Give You Up. I'm not gonna sing the rest, but it's running through your head now. Somehow, Rick Astley, who has other music that he's done, he's done other things, he, he's got a wife, he's got kids. Did you know he sang in his church choir growing up? No, neither did I, because all I know about him is he's the Rickroll guy. Let me give you one more. Thomas the Apostle. What do you think about? If you're a church history buff, you may have some other answers. But most of us think of Doubting Thomas. He was the apostle who was slow to believe the resurrection. This poor guy missed out. He was somewhere else on the night of the resurrection when all of the apostles, all the disciples were gathered together and Jesus appeared to them. And it was amazing. He spoke peace to them. He commissioned them. He gave them the authority to forgive sins. And then Thomas comes back in and they're saying, we've seen the Lord, he's alive. And Thomas just isn't there yet. He, he just can't, he can't take that in. And he says his famous line, unless I see in his hands the marks 
of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And because this one incident went viral, he has been forever dubbed Doubting Thomas. And we've even made it an epithet. If somebody's a skeptic or a cynic, we say, don't be such a Doubting Thomas. Thing is, there is more to Thomas's life, isn't there? I mean, we're pretty sure he's the guy who brought the gospel to India. He was a martyr. There's more to his story, but we actually really need this story. There are two reasons, well, maybe more, but at least two reasons that something goes viral. One is that it is so exceptional that everybody's just got to see it. And the other is that it's so commonplace and relatable. Like, we can all picture ourselves as the kid, you know, goofing around when we think no one's looking. This episode is significant for us not because it's so exceptional, but because it's so commonplace. We don't have to go far to see committed Christians or committed followers of God who experience doubt. We see it in the Old Testament reading that we read today, Job, this man who lost so much and was grappling with understanding why his world was falling apart when he had tried to be so faithful and he just wanted to see God. Or closer to Thomas, think of the apostles. When the 10 or the 11 disciples heard the news from the women who had witnessed Jesus' resurrection, they believed right away, right? No. Deacon Will told us last week, it seemed to them an idle tale. If you haven't seen that sermon, it's a great sermon. I can send you a, a link in an email if, if you like. <laughs> but see, they didn't believe. They, 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 they couldn't accept it right then. And, and Peter and John, they wanted to see with their own eyes an empty tomb. And they ran and they didn't start to believe until they saw that the tomb was empty. But we don't have to go back to the Bible to know that Christians wrestle with doubt, right? I mean, let's be honest for a moment. I think almost all of us have had some experience or maybe multiple experiences where there, there's something that's happened, some unexpected crisis that sweeps into our lives and consumes us, a family situation, a divorce, a sin that we've been wrestling with for so long and we, we, we wonder how this is ever going to go away. Maybe adult children who've walked away from the Lord and all that we ever wanted for them was to know Jesus. And when we have these moments, it's so easy for the rest of our life of faith, all of the other experience we, experiences we have of the faithfulness of God, it's easy for those to get crowded out by this one thing. And all I see in that moment is doubting Kevin. If you've ever found yourself in that place, or maybe you're finding yourself in that place now, this passage tells us that we are not alone. Now, I'm not saying that doubt is some kind of Christian virtue or something that we want to aspire to, but neither is it something that we have to be afraid of we can see that it has been part of Christian experience from the beginning. As Christians, part of what we want to do is to learn to live all of our lives as Christian, 
as a Christian, right? We want to live well as a Christian. We want to love well as a Christian. And I think we can learn to doubt well as a Christian. So that's the question that I want to ask today. How do we doubt as Christians? Or put another way, what is different about Christian doubt? I want to look at three characteristics of Christian doubt that set it apart from skepticism or cynicism. And the first one is this. Christian doubt has an underlying foundation of trust. When you look at Thomas, when you read about him in the rest of John, right? We've got this episode here in in chapter 20, but in in John 1 through 19, you see a portrait of a man who is Jesus' man, 100%, totally committed. Until this episode here, he's got two speaking parts in the book of John. The first one happens right around the, the story of Lazarus. Jesus has received word that his really good friend Lazarus is sick. But instead of going to him, he waits for a couple of days, and then he tells his disciples that he wants to go see him. And the disciples don't want him to go because they know that Lazarus lives near Jerusalem in Judea, and there are these people in Jerusalem that want to kill Jesus. And so Jesus clarifies that Lazarus has died. And what they don't know yet is he has a plan to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he tells them that Lazarus has died. And and then he says, come, let us go to him. Thomas hears this, and he puts two and two together. He realizes Jesus has talked before about dying. And Jesus is saying, let us go to Lazarus, who is dead in the grave. Is Jesus going to Jerusalem, and is he going to die there? And this is how Thomas responds. He says to the other apostles, let us also go, that we may die with him. It's hard to read that and think of Thomas as like an aloof skeptic. He wants to be with Jesus, live or die. He completely trusts this man. A few days later, Jesus gathers his disciples together for the Last Supper, and he tells them that he's going to be going away, but that they know the way to where he's going. And Thomas stops him and says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Once again, we have a man who wants to be with Jesus wherever he's going to be. And so I think it's pretty clear that Thomas's challenge here, in this incident of doubt, his challenge here is not that he isn't sure about Jesus, that he somehow doesn't trust Jesus. And I highly doubt that it has to do with skepticism about whether dead people can rise from the dead. Because remember, just last week, he saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. So he knows, pe- knows that people who are dead can become alive again. So something else is happening here. And I think it's really important that we grapple with it because it changes the way we understand this story. This episode isn't here as a call for blind faith for the skeptic. It's not a call to leave intellect at the door. It's not accurate for us to paint Thomas as some kind of modern skeptic who Jesus is trying to get to just believe without any evidence. Thomas is already a believer who's having trouble making sense 
of something that he has experienced. With his own two eyes, this man who wanted nothing more than to be with Jesus until the end, he had to watch from a distance as his Lord, his King, his best friend was mocked and tortured and ultimately killed. He saw this with his own eyes. And if someone was going to come to him and say that everything that he had seen had become untrue, had been undone, he wanted to see that with his own eyes because he saw the disappointment with his own eyes. Thomas's doubt is not so much about theological doctrine or even the person of Jesus. It's about his own immediate experiences and circumstances, grappling with that. Isn't that how it is so often for us? We have an experience of pain or loss or disappointment, and that experience feels so immediate, so tangible, that it makes God's promises, even though we might believe them deep down, feel distant and intangible. I want you to know in those moments, it's okay to ask God to show up. We see it again and again in the Bible. It's okay to say, Lord, I am having a hard time believing that this situation is going to be okay. I have a hard time believing that you're in control right now. I need you to reveal yourself to me. I need to know that you're present in this. Friends, that's not a prayer of skepticism. That's a prayer of faith. And if God is already our foundation, if he's already put a foundation of trust in us, if we've already learned to trust Jesus, then Jesus' words to Thomas are for us too. Do not disbelieve, but believe. He's not asking us to be an optimist. He's not asking for blind faith. He's asking us to trust the Savior with the scarred hands that we have already come to know and love. But how do we actually do that? Even with a foundation of trust, we can find ourselves in the moment involuntarily losing confidence in the promises of God and in his purposes. In that moment, it can be so hard. So how do we move forward? Well, that brings us to the second characteristic of Christian hope. And that is that Christian hope leans in. What do I mean by that? Well, not all hope is the same, or not all doubt, rather, is the same. Did I say Christian hope leans in? I meant to say Christian doubt leans in. Not all doubt is the same. Um, I I have a four-year-old, and I got her permission to share this story. She's actually very excited about it. Um, She has decided that she doesn't like any food that she has not tasted before. So if you present something new to her, she'll push it back and say, I don't like that. It's yucky. Sometimes, if we tell her she has to try it, she'll take a little piece, put it in her mouth, and then spit it out right away. I don't like it. She's already made up her mind about that food. And she's using her doubt 
as a way to avoid any new experiences. She's pushing back. She's leaning back with her doubt. Jesus faced this kind of doubt all the time in his ministry. There were these religious leaders who kept asking Jesus for a sign. And Jesus wouldn't give them one because he knew they had already made up their mind about him. In fact, one time they did see him heal a man with a withered hand, and they just got mad at him for doing it on the Sabbath. They were already leaning back in doubt. Their doubt was an excuse not to investigate. But there's another kind of doubt, too. As we grow older, we learn to consider that perhaps our doubt, just as our trust can be misplaced, our doubt can also be misplaced. And we learn that sometimes, despite our doubts, we can lean in. You know, I was out of college before I tried avocado for the first time. I was just convinced that it, was, it didn't seem like a food that I would like. It was green and smelled kind of funny, and I, I just didn't want to try it. I felt like my life was complete without it. And then I started dating my now wife, who loved guacamole. And I thought, gee, it would be convenient if I liked avocado. And so I tried it. And it turns out I did like it. But it's not as though I was a believer. It's not as though I was convinced. I, I, I thought through all the arguments for eating avocado, and I became a believer, and then I had some avocado. I was doubting that I would like it from the very moment that I picked it up to when it passed my lips until I tasted it. I was still doubting. But I leaned in with those doubts. Jesus encountered this kind of doubt, too. And this kind of doubt Jesus met. There was a man whose son had been tortured by a demon. And this demon would thrash him around and would injure him, and he's afraid for his son's life. Nothing that he tried worked to help his son. He brought his son to the disciples. The disciples tried to cast out the demon. The disciples couldn't do it. And so finally he brings his son to Jesus. He's desperate. And he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Notice he said, help us. It's not just his son. He needed this. And Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And this is what the father said. I believe. Help my unbelief. And that was enough. Jesus healed his son. Did the man have doubts? Yes, he did. It was an if statement. But he also trusted Jesus with his doubts. And that was enough. The same thing happened with Thomas. Thomas was struggling with unbelief, but he wasn't leaning back in doubt. I believe he was leaning in. Do you know why I know that or why I think that? Because where was he? Eight days later, after he'd missed out on seeing Jesus, where was he? He was with the other disciples. He didn't go back home to wherever his family was. He stayed in the place where if Jesus was going to show up again, he would be there to see it. I just want to say to some of you, you might actually be in a place right now where this is very real to you you're wrestling with some serious doubt. Maybe you feel like the Lord has not been meeting you in Scripture. 
you're praying and it feels like they're just bouncing off the walls. You go to church and it and it's just kind of feels like the same thing. But I notice that you're here today. Or maybe you've tuned in on the live stream. And just by being here, just by coming to the place where Jesus is likely to show up with the people of God, you've leaned in. You've taken a small step of faith. And God says that if we look for him, we will find him. If we look for him with all of our heart. Now that that moment of discovery, that moment of, of hope breaking through the doubt might not happen right away. The disciples had to wait until the evening to see the resurrected Jesus. Thomas had to wait a week. There were people in the Bible who waited much longer. But God wants to reveal himself. Jesus wants to reveal himself to those who are seeking for him. And because Thomas was leaning in, when the moment came that Jesus broke through his doubt, Thomas was ready to worship. And this, friends, is the third characteristic of Christian doubt. Christian doubt ultimately gives way to worship. Have you ever witnessed something truly unbelievable? Like something that you thought you would never see in your lifetime? I didn't grow up watching professional sports, but even I couldn't escape the fervor and the furor over 2016 Cubs win of the World Series, when after 107 series, they finally won, and Chicago erupted. There were celebrations, people looking at each other, people who had waited their whole lives for this moment, and five million people descended on the city of Chicago in what is estimated to have been the seventh largest gathering in human history. Okay, so everybody's excited when their team wins, right? Like, that's not unusual. But when you have been disappointed for so long, when you have been given every reason to doubt, when hope breaks through, when the thing that you've been waiting for happens, it's like a tsunami in your soul that just has to burst out in celebration. Thomas had been given every reason to doubt. He had seen his worst fears realized on the cross when he couldn't even be with Jesus as he was suffering and he saw his Lord crucified. And so when he sees the risen Jesus, the experience is so shockingly amazing that his response is to fall down in worship. And not only that, but he makes the most profound proclamation of Jesus' identity that we see in the Gospels. Because a lot of people call Jesus Lord. A lot of people call Jesus Messiah. But he says, my Lord and my God. Thomas's experience of doubt made his worship even more profound when he encountered Jesus. I was recently talking with a friend of mine who uh, had spent a long time away from the church, and he'd kind of, uh, kind of hit rock bottom and, and came back to church uh, several years ago, and he met Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus, and he kept leaning in to the promises of God through some really hard circumstances. 
And as we were talking, I was just struck by the sheer gratefulness of this man for his Savior, the sheer joy in the life that he has in Jesus. It was a gratefulness that in this moment I, I wasn't even able to fully tap into because he had seen the valley of the shadow of death. And he was so thankful. His doubt had been turned into worship. Now we might be thinking, okay, that's good for him. That's good for Thomas. But listen, Kevin, you don't know what I'm dealing with. What about me? You don't know how long I have asked the Lord to take this thorn from my side, to take away this sin, to fix this problem. There's this relationship that fell apart, and I don't understand what happened. And I'm trying to heal, but I can't heal from it. It is so raw. There's a sense in which we are in the same place as Thomas. We're still waiting to see the resurrected Jesus when he comes again in glory. We're in those eight days where Thomas was waiting to see the Lord. We might trust him. We think we have good evidence for hope. We believe he met us at the font. We believe he meets us at the table. But we haven't seen him. He hasn't made it all right yet. Jesus has a special blessing for us, for those of us who are still waiting, for those of us who still want to see. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Why are we blessed? We're blessed because someday we will see the answer to our doubts and our fears and our pain when we see our resurrected Lord Jesus with the scarred hands return again in glory and set everything right, all the things that we are yearning for, setting them right and fulfilling the deepest desires of our hearts. And when that day comes, when we see our resurrected Lord Jesus, let me tell you, all of the saints and the angels and the archangels are going to bust out in a worship service so incredible that it will make the Cubs celebration seem like a backyard barbecue. This profound pain and doubt and disappointment that you and I experience is preparing us to receive with joy and adulation the coming of our Lord Jesus. And that's why today my goal is not to explain away your doubts. Instead, this is my question for you. This is the pressing question of this passage. Can you trust the man with the scars in his hands? The man who loved you and gave himself for you? For the moment, Let's set aside some of these other questions. They're important questions, and, and, and you should get there eventually. But for the moment, let's set aside the problem of evil or the hypocrisy of people who claim to be Christians and don't act very Christianly. That, that's not what we're talking about right now. The pressing question is, can you trust Jesus? See, the reason why Thomas was able to get through John chapter 20 to get through those eight days 
between the resurrection and when he finally saw Jesus is because he had come to trust the Jesus that he had seen in John 1 through 19. And I know that many of you are here because you have come to know that Jesus. And maybe you feel like you can trust him. But you have these other experiences and these other questions that are pressing themselves in on you and crowding him out in your mind. And if that's you today, and sometimes it's me, I want to invite you into a simple prayer. It's a prayer that you can pray in a moment of crisis. It's a prayer that you can pray for a whole season, even for a lifetime. It's the prayer of a father worried about his suffering son. I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I trust you. Help my doubt. Jesus, hear that prayer of our hearts. Jesus, we trust you. But we are battered and wounded and suffering under the curse of sin and death. Lord, we need to see your deliverance. And I pray for anyone here, Lord, if there's anyone who's close to giving up hope, who just longs for an encounter with you, I pray that you would meet them at the table this morning, that you would meet them in the embrace of a brother or sister, that you'd meet them in your word. Reveal yourself to us, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.